Welcome back to 12-Pack Radio, the most interesting podcast in the world covering Pac-12 football. This is Brian Conger, the host of Wildcat Radio, and I am joined by the wizard, the guru, the, the, uh, the creator of the Beta Rank College Football Advanced Statistical Model. What's going on, Mr. Rob Bowron? Oh, I'm, I'm excited. It's uh, all in-season data right now. Um, the model had a bit of a rough week, uh, though. With <laughs> Everyone had a rough week uh, with so many un- like, true, true underdogs actually winning games. But, um, yeah, it's, it's a good – like the, uh, the new in-season models out. Go out, check it out. Um, check out how good Alabama is relative to everyone else. Oh, they are just – to have that quarterback and to have that defense and to have all those skill players, like it is – inappropriate and a good a good picture that's been painted of the mountain that larry scott must climb to get somebody Oof. anybody in our conference to win a national title in the next four or five years i i don't see it happening what do you think yeah i mean i actually i actually think and john wilner had mentioned <clears throat> sorry i'm like needing to cough at this moment um, they, they are intimidated they make me cough and, and wheeze too oh my gosh the yes. alabama uh, <laughs> <laughs> no i mean it's oh, the alabama offense is just lights out right now um i would say that with uh wilner had brought up john wilner from the mercury news had brought up a while back that you know the pac-12 may need to go as far as like creating some sort of like competition committee to like try to figure out like what is going on make recommendations to schools um and it's not that i don't think schools want to be competitive but i just i'm not sure that the pac-12 is realizes how big the gap is i mean last year's bowl performance was not a fluke um you know, you could see something similar this year. Uh, you know, the Pac-12 has a, has a ways to go, um, and, and really, in its, in its flagship programs have really not been carrying their weight um, at all if, nationally. If, if a blue ribbon panel is the solution to the Pac-12 getting their know. groove on, I don't know. I, mean, I don't I know if I bought into that. The real solution is just like the the, the schools just have to pay assistance more. Um, yeah. and they had uh, like, the, I just, you have to go out and try to be competitive with sec salaries to get the best coaches. Like that's I, just it. look at, look at Oregon, man. And, and Cal, to yeah. some extent, I know Cal's a little rough this year, but the jump that they made that first year, that's a good coaching staff. They have up and down, is, not, yeah. not just Wilcox. It's all the way down. Yeah, no. And or, I mean, Oregon is, you know, probably funnel. I mean, I'm, I'm sure they're funneling more money than they are pulling in in football revenues into football. Um, you know, with some serious donations from Nike in there and Phil Knight in there. But um, I do think that, you know, there's just no way that, you know, these there's just there's just no shortcut to it, really, unless you find some up and comer. Um, but as Arizona found with like Dante Williams, who is now at Oregon, um, it's just hard to it's hard to keep those guys around very long um, if they're actually ace recruiters. So like finding coaches that can both recruit um, and coach players is, is very expensive. Um, and I think conferences, I, I think schools, and the conferences are going to have to shell out the money. And, um, I think that's where Larry Scott comes in is like, you're going to have to find new revenue to make this happen. Okay. Okay. I know, I know, I think I know the answer to this, but Rob, have you read the Harry Potter books? No. What? <laughs> for, for real? For real. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh no. My whole, my whole analogy. Okay. <laughs> I have like, 
I, 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 I have like, I'm a bit of a literary snob. I apologize. I apologize to everyone out there that like, that I just insulted by saying Harry Potter was in literature too. <laughs> so, uh, I, I have a recommendation for you after the pod. Maybe I'll do it at the end of the podcast so people can listen. It's, it's Harry Potter related, but I think it's something that you will appreciate, um, much more than the actual Harry Potter books. But, uh, for this, for this instance, Harry Potter in the, uh, they, they all go to the magical wizard school and there's this sorting hat and the sorting hat like jumps up and down and sings a song and it, and it separates all the kids into their their kind of designated areas. And I feel like this was a sorting hat week where, like, oh, yeah. you know, the good teams are put in their good places. The bad teams are put in their bad places. And the middle teams are in the middle. And uh, certainly Oregon was, <laughs> holy goodness, that was a fun game. And screw your screw your numbers there, Rob. Oregon friggin' did it. You Took mean a the lot game that Washington should have won and, like, their <laughs> college kicker missed at the end? Like, oh. everybody, like, don't get me wrong. Like, I get it. Like, if you picked Oregon, like take your victory lap, like knock yourself out, like enjoy it. But like, don't act like it was like, oh man, like you idiots that picked Washington, like clearly <laughs> they shouldn't have won that game. Like Oregon went to overtime yet again <laughs> at home. Like it was, it was close. Like it could have gone either way. Well, now that we're talking about Oregon and we're, we're definitely going to go into this game, I should mention at the end of this podcast, before my awesome literary recommendations to you Rob there uh, we have a, a guest and it's Max Brown and Max Brown is awesome if you don't know what he's doing he was the court he was a quarterback at USC and right now he's breaking down Pac-12 games and like he's doing a really awesome job he's showing film he's doing the arrow stuff he's stopping he's walking you through the progressions the quarterbacks are making the adjustments the defense are making and he's going to break down the Washington State Oregon game for us uh, so stick around for that it's going to be an awesome interview we're very excited about it going back to this week uh, I, I thought that Oregon-Washington game was so fun. And that's the second Oregon game that I've seen where I was just glued to the television from the start to finish. The atmosphere is great. Those fans are amazing. They uh, Oregon came to play. I thought they pressured Jake Browning enough uh, the, to put him in positions where he, he wasn't picking him apart the whole time. I thought Washington came back. Their defense obviously is awesome. That That was pretty much everything that you wanted in a college football game, right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, that game was great. Um and I, the one thing I think that I, if if I could say like that the model really missed on, it was actually Oregon's uh, special teams, um, which were terrific in this game. Um, and they were the reason, one of the reasons, I mean, not the reason, like I, like I try not to be the person's like, this is the only reason this could have happened. Um, but one of the reasons Oregon won is they had about a 12 uh, yard uh, difference in field position, starting field position. Um, like their, their special teams made a big difference in this game for, for the ducks. Uh, and not just that, you know, college kicker missed at the end. Like, uh, or- Oregon had a, had a pretty significant advantage. A great game. Hifliday, by the way, is doing cartwheels right now, uh, acknowledging that their Oregon state special teams is good. So shout out to him. Um, let's move to a couple other big picture items. I thought Utah, uh, did a, a decent job, but it really does stiff arm Arizona to the bottom of the conference, along with UCLA, just stomping on Cal. We clearly know who the the worst teams in this conference are now and man that cal arizona game last week looks like a pillow fight uh compared to and it's going to continue to look like even more so of one as we move forward but uh, i think ucla is making progress you can kind of bump them up into that next category i don't know if utah is going to be able to win the conference but they're certainly in that that second upper echelon right oh absolutely i mean right right now you still feel like utah um if they can if they can win this week, um, has a very good shot. And you, 
with Porter Augusta now being out for the rest of the year. Oh, uh, that's brutal. Oh, it is. I mean, that's and all the like Utah fans that actually saw the like that I saw were like, you know, I mean, Gustin is from Utah, but we're deeply bummed about it. Most Utah fans are really good football fans. Like, it's just it's a bummer for the whole conference. I love getting to watch the best players, you know, in the Pac-12 play. So just it's a bummer not to get to. He was he was having a very good year, too. He was everywhere. Yeah. Everywhere in that Colorado game, man, he was, he was. <laughs> on a bum ankle. It turned out on a bum ankle. Oh my gosh! You, well, goodness knows what they're putting there to make sure that that wasn't a bum ankle in that game. But um, man, uh, Stephen Montez was running for his life, and uh, and it was clear, man, that Colorado's offensive line ain't played nobody because they were just a mess. And Montez was all over the place, and that offense was really hard to watch. That that offense, not just. I mean, it wasn't just that they. That they were not executing. I thought the, I mean, the play calling was atrocious. I mean, I know Colorado likes to run screens, but like USC had clearly seen the tape and they knew screens were coming every single time. Like I, I have never seen a team sniff out like twelve or you know fifteen screens like I saw USC do in that game. It was just brutal shout out to uh our friends in the palouse who got freaking college game day back-to-back games oregon's soaking in all the attention right now by the way two back-to-back games that they're going to be in uh, on college game day but i think is this the first time that college game day has ever been to washington state i thought i saw that but i'm i wasn't certain have you seen anything like that on twitter yeah i believe that's true i mean it's uh you know they, they always have the the uh, cougar flag you know the, <laughs> the old, what do they call it old crimson um you know at every game day and it's a big shtick and now like i mean it's like you don't have to it doesn't have to travel <laughs> uh, the whole town's gonna be there there's gonna be like twenty thousand people this is gonna be great like well, all, it, all of spokane will be there too i'm sure oh yeah yeah that's true the Spokies. Um, i'm so i'm so glad like and i do think that this is a uh, a concerted effort from ESPN to give a little love to the West Coast and good for them for doing that. I'm not knocking them. I actually welcome it. It's nice to show that they they are paying attention to what's going on the West Coast. I know we just dumped on (laughs) the fact that we probably won't get a college football playoff entry, but there are some really good players and Washington State is kind of the surprise of the year on the West Coast and Oregon certainly making that big step coming off of that great win. So I'm, I'm really stoked that they're covering this game. It's always nice to be able to see some good news uh, come out of ESPN. I, everybody knocks them and rightly so for some reasons, but uh, college game day is one of the most fun experiences that you can do. And I'm glad that the people uh, in the great city of Pullman, Washington can participate. Uh, any other big picture items uh, from week seven? No, no. I mean, you're right. Like we got to see which teams are improving, uh, which teams are going down. I mean, even if they're, even if they're just improving to being merely like, okay, like UCLA, maybe, um, and Utah's improving towards maybe being quite good. Um, it's just, yeah, like this was, this was the, this was like the, um, like you said, like the sorting week for the Pac-12, like even though there were only four games. Okay, let's uh, let's get into the week eight games and the week seven review in a s- series we call the Sleazy Bets. Hey, um, can I get some Pac-12 gambling advice up in here? Is William Shatner? Pac-12 gambling lines? You got it. Nice. You want it? Baby, just bust a move. Okay. All right, all right. We are back talking sleazy bets, talking about all the games coming up in week eight, and talking about some of the action we saw in week seven. Rob, we got a Thursday game, man. Thursday. 
I mean, I love Thursday football. I mean, it's not as, it's not quite as fun as maybe Mac football on a Tuesday. <laughs> That's so, so ridiculous when they do that. Like, yeah, I feel so okay. bad for the players. <laughs> Tuesday game, fellas. <laughs> Get it together. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, Thursday, 6 o'clock p.m. on ESPN. Stanford, uh, who and both these teams, by the way, had a bye. Stanford is a two-point favorite on the road against Arizona State. Uh since both these teams didn't have a bye, it's a lot of time to be able to break down this game. I don't know if Bryce Love is going to be back. I think that's a major issue on whether or not like it's hard to pick this game to figure out if he's going to play or not. But with that said, uh, Stanford's still a good team. And ASU is an okay team? Like, question mark? What do you think about ASU? ASU's a tough team to peg. I think the model still maybe has them a little high. I mean, it just depends on whether you think that Colorado performance against USC was like a one-off or was it like, Oh man, like this is what Colorado looks like when they play a good defense. Um, because the model kind of likes ASU, particularly after Michigan state won um, against Penn state. Um, they come in, um, ranked in this week, uh, at number 38, um, with the number 18 offense and the number 93 defense. So the defense is a little unsightly. Um, but that's not all that different than Stanford. I mean, Stanford comes in ranked at number 54. Um, their offense is ranked at 41, but their defense is ranked at 90. Um, this, I mean, this game has the potential to see a lot of points, uh, between the two units. I mean, Stanford's defense, I think if there's one thing that we've learned in the last two weeks of just watching them just get jackhammered by Notre Dame, or I mean, this is two weeks ago, a week ago, but um, jackhammered by Notre Dame and Utah is like, man, this defense is not good, it turns out. I'm curious to see how Eno Benjamin does against this yeah. front seven, because obviously Stanford's front seven isn't the front seven that we've seen in past teams. It's not that great of a run defense, but I'm still not 100% sold on him. Uh, he's definitely progressing, and I want him to progress. I think he's going to be a really good talent in the Pac-12 for a number of years to come, but I, I think it's a really good matchup to see whether or not ASU can get their running game uh, up against Stanford, because uh, one thing to mention is uh, Nikhil Harry is back, so so, you know, whatever garbage hit that was <laughs> during that ASU Colorado game, uh, yeah. he had a week to get over if, if he had any concussions symptoms, which I'm uncertain whether that was the case. But well, any, any negative feedback from that play has uh, allowed him to play into this game, which is good. So they will have their top offensive threat on the board. And uh, I don't know, like, uh, what do you what do you think about Stanford's run defense? What do the numbers say on him? So Stanford's run defense is, uh, they're ranked number 87, so not great. Um, I mean, their pass defense is ranked, comes in ranked at number 84, so also not great. Like, this defense just isn't very good. <laughs> um, the one thing I would say about this ASU is that, and this may be coming down from Herm Edwards, I don't know if it's Rob Likens making this decision, they just run the ball too damn much. Um, for how good Manny Wilkins and his receivers have been, like it makes That's no, true. it makes no sense their commitment to the run. Manny Wilkins did not throw the ball enough in that Colorado game, for how, in particular for how well he was throwing it uh, in that game. It just, it, I mean, and he's he's got an eleven to one TD to interception ratio. Like, let the guy throw the freaking ball. <laughs> um, I mean, it's not just like, and there are some comments, and I don't know why people just they don't like Manny Wilkins. Like, go back and watch. He did not get the. the the handful of throws he was allowed to make in that Colorado game, like we're just, some of them were just gorgeous, like just beautiful throws. Um, so I, I certainly hope like 
that Herm Edwards actually lets the offense get its freak on and just throw the ball all over Stanford <laughs> because yeah, it's, it, it makes it, no sense to like commit to like not that Benjamin hasn't been pretty good but like they feed him the ball constantly yeah and Benjamin isn't Ronald Jones or Royce right. Freeman like it, yeah I mean he could be in a few years you, you, you don't know but uh it's not like they have this workhorse back that they can just ride and grind and win a game they need to be able to do a couple a uh, couple different other different other things a couple other things in order to keep defenses honest I'm just looking now so Bryce Love is probable for Thursday against Arizona State which is a good sign because um while <laughs> the Stanford run blocking hasn't been awesome. You got having him on the field against an Arizona state team that you can run against yeah. at least gives Stanford another weapon to use outside of their top receivers. Absolutely. I mean, and this defense, this ASU defense does grade out a little bit better against the run ranking number 76. And then they're 100 against the pass um, as well as Stanford has thrown the ball around. Uh, you know, I would, I would be a little worried if I was ASU in this game um, on that front and Costello, you know, like he knows what he has to do. Like, and he generally makes, he can make decent throws. The one thing that I would say that, um, no one had done up until Notre Dame and then Utah really did it to them was, um, and Hippoday had pointed this out is Costello gets, uh, he, he's not good when he's pressured. He gets happy feet. He doesn't set his feet and he makes bad throws. Um, he did that against Notre Dame. He did that against Utah. I don't think that ASU can get pressure on them. Um, but I'm interested to see Danny Gonzalez try it because he does like to bring the heat. Okay. Any other major items i i would like to see i haven't seen enough of asu secondary to know whether or not uh stanford's wide receivers are just going to take full advantage of the the height the one thing that was cool is max brown who again we're going to talk to did a whole video on how utah stopped that fade that they threw to jj or white side like basically what he does is just boxes people out and the problem is uh Costello isn't throwing a beautiful ball. He's just kind of throwing it and just like, oh, you're tall. Here, go go get this. And what that allowed Utah to do, because they had the taller secondary players, is they were able to step in front of that and, and do some stuff to change that up, which is cool. So if you haven't seen that, just check out Max Brown's stuff on YouTube. Uh, I I don't know. I, I don't know. I still don't know what I feel about this secondary for uh, ASU. What do you think? Yeah, I don't think that the secondary for ASU is, is, are the guys to like – do what Utah was able to do against this, this Stanford team. <laughs> I mean, I think that they're going to be able, I think Stanford's going to be able to, to do what they've normally done, which is, you know, put the ball up high. Um, but, and I, and I've talked about this with Costello, like he, he does, if he's given time, like he, he can make those throws. Um, the danger when you make those throws is when you're constantly aiming to throw high because you've got these giant wide receivers and tight ends um, in particular. And, and Stanford will do it over the middle is like, if you sail that ball, that is an interception waiting to happen. If you have safety playing center field. Um, so if, if ASU can get any pressure on them, I just, I don't know what to make of this. You're right. Like, I don't know what to make of this ASU team right now. Like it, I feel like this is, has shootout written all over it. Um, although every time I think it has shootout written all over it, I end up watching some like mind numbing, almost like big tense log. So <laughs> I'm with you. I don't I, like the model has the, because Arizona state has played 
better uh, and more consistently. And Stanford has has really fallen quite hard in the last three weeks. Um, ASU comes in with a, a 67% win probability in this game. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Um, now, some of that's home field. Um, but I... I just I, I'm you're, I'm with you like I'm struggling to to really want to put faith in the Sun Devils like I, I do I still think I would probably take Stanford to win but I really need to see the line. It's a fun game. Maybe this yeah. is probably one of the better games of the week outside of obviously Oregon and Washington State. I'm going to take Stanford. I just am. I trust. I, I don't trust Herm Edwards yet. I know that he's done better than I anticipated him. Uh, I don't trust this team yet. And at least I know what I have in Stanford, which is a pretty good wide receiving core. Uh, one of the best, hopefully, <laughs> running backs in the country, even though he's been really stifled. But him running against the ASU defense, I think, is going to be what makes this game uh, favorable for Stanford fans. So give me give me the Cardinal two points. What the heck? Uh, I think they're the That's better only team. Two points. The oh, only yeah. two points? I'll take Stanford that um but asu asu's been as, as decent as they've been at committing to run the ball and their offensive line has been decent at that like manny wilkins has taken some hits this season um like they're not great at pass protection so um not that stanford's really gotten to almost anybody this season so <laughs> yeah but they're not like you know arizona yeah. or oregon state or uh even cal cal doesn't have a bunch of guys on that line so Yes, they haven't gotten to a ton of people, but they're still in the middle of the Pac-12, I would assume, in terms of yeah. talent, right? Oh, no, I mean, Stanford, in terms of, like, raw talent, has recruited incredibly well. Um, this defense has just fallen off the map versus their talent level the last two seasons. Okay. Um, and again, uh, one of the things I forgot to mention, so the way that we do this is we talk about the game that's coming up, and then uh, we mention the game that's coming up, and then we go through any games that those teams have played in this past week. So the next one would be Saturday at 1230. Colorado is a 17 point, 17 point rod. 17 points. <laughs> underdog on the road at Washington. Uh, Colorado, of course, coming off of a 20 to 31 loss to USC. Uh, we both watched this game, but let me throw it to you first. What uh, what were your general impressions of what happened in uh, USC? Uh, so USC's defense really showed up. I mean, there's no other way to put it. Um, I, I think everyone was rightfully high at this point in the season on Colorado's wide receivers. Steven Montez was not finding dudes open. Um you know, when Colorado's receivers were getting out there and when he did have time, which wasn't always, um, he was holding the ball, looking, 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 going through his reads, um, sometimes trying to force it to Chenault. Uh, it was, it was a more impressive performance than I was expecting from USC secondary in this game and shutting down, uh, Colorado. And Porter Gustin, like we mentioned, I mean, the night is dark and full of Porter oh, Gustin, and unfortunately, great. he's gone. Like, that sucks so much. Um, but he was everywhere, and it was really fun to watch him play. And and like I had mentioned, like, I don't think this offensive line has played an actual defensive line yet, this Colorado offensive line. They finally found one, and it certainly showed. It'll be interesting to see if Colorado uh, – I know we're uh, – well, well, shoot, it'll be interesting to see if they can hold the line against Washington because that is a nasty front seven, too, right? Yeah, Washington's defense has been falling off, um, you know, giving up giving up a bunch of points to UCLA and, um, and then turning around. Uh, and they had a they had a pretty good game against a pretty good game against Oregon, but not a great game against Oregon. They've been falling. So they came in right coming ranked at number 30 in the model right now. Um 
they are they're they're good. Um, they're they're better against the pass than they are against the rush. That secondary actually for Washington has been quite good. Those safeties are just nasty, um, and they will get after you. Um, but they, uh, as as we saw with Oregon, really too. Like I mean, they they are a team. The teams have found some success, and and UCLA did too. Like found some success running the ball on. To highlight USC's defense and what they were able to do, look at this stat line. Um, Trayvon McMillan, 18 carries, 32 yards. Like, they just snuffed him out. It was nasty what they were able so, to do up there. My favorite stat of, my favorite stat of this damn near unwatchable game is, <laughs> is that for both teams, LaVisca Chenault was the leading ball carrier, the leading rusher, with two carries for 46 yards. And he had, that, a, he had that one huge run, which was so like, I think his other carry was like for one yard. <laughs> like it, was just, <laughs> like it was just such a bad, like nobody even made a reasonable attempt to run the football. It is amazing how USC's run game has just fell flat on its face. And it, it wasn't just in this game. It's been in multiple games over this season, which is so surprising considering the talent or, or talent we thought that they had back there. But yeah, like Stephen Carr, 12 yard, uh, twelve carries for 20 yards. I mean, it was just, it was really bad. And USC was more than willing to hand the momentum and the ball over to Colorado in the beginning. Uh, JT Daniels had those two terrible picks at the beginning oh, awful of the game. And I'm like, all right, because I had, I, had, I had a little uh, little piece in the game on <laughs> Colorado. I'm like, all right, man, let's see. Full Montez. And he just could not get it done. The wide receivers couldn't get it done, and they are in bad shape. I, I'm i actually going to take Washington in this game. I think that Washington blows the doors off of uh, Colorado because I know you had just mentioned that their secondary is better, which which speaks well to being able to cover Chenault and some of those other wide receivers that they have there. But uh, I just think that they're going to make Montez run and make him, uh, make him panic and make him make bad decisions. And it might be a replay of what we said we saw in this game because I I do trust uh, this Washington defense and 17 points is a lot of points. Not going to lie, but I'm going to jump on Washington here. What about you? I, I'm taking Colorado because 17 points is just bananas. Um, Washington, uh, Washington comes in in this game and they have a roughly 67% win probability. That's not anywhere near 17 points really. Um <clears throat> And I, the one thing I will say is I, I Colorado's defense did step up and shut down the the run yeah, um, pretty uh, well. Yep. But what I what I was like, JT Daniels was just basically like he had that one drive where he looked just razor sharp. Like, oh yeah, this is clearly the number one QB recruit in the country. Like, awesome. But the other two touchdown drives that he led, like where he had the big plays, like he was playing five hundred. Like he was doing exactly what they did against Washington State, which is some things that I think people sort of can unfairly accuse Costello of, which is just throwing the ball up and letting his receivers go get it. Like JT Daniels was just throwing the ball in the general vicinity of his wide receiver down deep. Um, and then, you know, some five star wide receiver is making some impossibly athletic play to make some huge play. Um, well, Browning doesn't usually do that. So I, I think Colorado's defense had a really bad night as well on just a couple of plays on what could have been a better night uh, on their offense was just awful. Um, I don't expect the offense to be as bad. I think uh, Chivarini cleans it up a little bit. I, I like Colorado. I don't like him to win the game, but I like him to, to cover. 
You totally just convinced me. <laughs> yeah, you did. I'm going to switch my pick. Um, and and one of the reasons too is because I don't I don't think Colorado is going to put up a ton of points, but I still don't trust this wide receiving core for Washington. I I know, yeah. like if you're a Washington fan, I know you're beating your head against the wall. I know, I, like I've watched every Washington game. I understand that there's talent on here. I'm not saying that there isn't, but I do still like the secondary for Colorado, and. I am not a fan of uh, what's going on with Miles Gaskin being on the sideline and uh, Savon Ahmed having to carry the load there. I was just and about to I, say, are they banged up though? Like, I mean, they didn't finish that game, Oregon. Let me take let me take a look here. Um, while we do that, um, tell that, me, tell not me, that there's like an injury report or anything, but <laughs> <laughs> there is. Hold on, hold on, hold on. So he and uh, Savon Ahmed are questionable on Saturday versus Colorado. And it looked like miles Gaskin was like, not, he was seen on the sideline, but that didn't look, that didn't look good. And are, is Washington be able to run the ball? I think Colorado's run defense isn't terrible, right? Yeah. I think Colorado's run defense is pretty good. Um, I think they lost a guy maybe for the season, uh, Frankie, but I'd like to see, I I, I still think 17 points just seems like a lot. Um, given everything and i do think i mean i'd be surprised to see this colorado offense which um i'd just be surprised to see him held in check and if, it, if it's really it's if it's all on jake browning to win by 17 like no i want no part of that <laughs> all right we're moving on 1 p.m cal at oregon state woof woof this game sucks oh my gosh Get excited i don't even know what channel it was it wasn't on a it wasn't on espn yet. it's gotta be pack 12 it's probably like cbs sports the larry plus. scott the larry scott special oh my gosh cal at oregon state um Oh my goodness. So Cal, there's no line on this and I'm uncertain why I'm wondering if they, uh, I mean like, cause Cal always cycles through their quarterbacks anyway. Right. Well, I mean, McElwain's just been playing. I mean, they've basically gone with McElwain these last two games. So I don't understand why there's not a line on this game yet. I mean, and, um, it's, it's Connor Blount for Oregon state, right? Like I don't, I don't know why there wouldn't be a line for this game. Yeah. I'm uncertain why, uh, let's go into So Cal, <laughs> scored seven points against ucla 37 7 ucla over cal uh this was just a brutal game if you were a cal fan i actually went balls of the wall and in our survivor pool i took ucla as a seven and a half point underdog i saw that like that was amazing <laughs> boom props to you like yeah, you got ucla out of the way that's amazing it, and it wasn't even it was me and like five other people i'm in this 25 dollar pool where anyway there's there's a number of people that took it i was surprised i thought it was going to be the only one but i think some other people are seeing what i see which is cal is not a good team with that said i have to take cal in the survivor pool against oregon state and i don't feel good about this at all so tell me what happened against ucla here um well uh the ucla's offense has started to put it together a little bit i mean cal's defense is quite good but um and they come in ranked number 44 in the country right now. Uh, but their offense was bad, bad, bad again. And they just couldn't keep up with what UCLA was eventually able to do against them. Um, their offense comes in ranked at number 124. McElwain didn't really have uh, interceptions until late. But uh, then, of course, like the bad McElwain came out um, and they were able to put the game away. But uh, UCLA was able to run the ball pretty effect- effectively. Um, and Thompson Robinson was, was really good for the second straight week. So, uh, man, I mean, and, uh, Bears fans were apoplectic at losing this game. I mean, like, <laughs> they I mean, should like, be. 
like fire Wilcox apoplectic at losing this game. Like people were just like, I, uh, the, the cow blog or the cow. Yeah. The cow blog, which I think it's like gold, the California gold blogs. They they are, they are some head cases. I mean, that's coming from me on, on our Twitter. (laughs) They kind of annoy me because they do that play by play thing. And I'm like, don't do play by play on Twitter. Like, please. They Um, still do that. I unfollowed them like six years ago because they were doing, but after the game, they basically tweeted out like, every raging angry like cal take um that they could find on twitter or that was tweeted at them um and people were just like it's just like slit your wrist mad <laughs> like and depressed over this loss <laughs> oh it's it's interesting because there's like five people that follow Cal football. So they're all like, they're all on the phone with each other on a conference call right now. So there was like a non-trivial number of former players that were like, like, I mean, of course, like standing up for like the, the players and the coaches and everything like that. But I was just like, that's how, that's how many Cal fans are out there is like, I mean, they're like, it's pretty easy to find the former players because there are so few Cal fans. <laughs> All right, let's just move on here because uh, I don't. I don't. I this wish there was. Fun, a- and I want to say why, like real quick. Like so, <laughs> dude, get excited! Like, come on, it's Pac-12 oh, football. This only happens once a year. Um, Jamar Jefferson is. If you haven't been watching, like Jamar Jefferson is legitimately possibly the best running back in the conference right now. Like. Um, I would just say, like, he's he's been phenomenal. The Oregon State's offense comes in uh, ranked at number 54. Um, they're sort of surprisingly good. They get to take on Cal's pretty good defense at 44. But the flip side of this is is Cal's offense, which has just been, like, it's almost like incompetence porn how bad Cal's <laughs> offense has been. <laughs> like, they're number, they're number 124. But they get to take on, wait for it, the number 129 out of 130 oh ranked gosh. defense in the country. So, like, Cal has a chance to show up and, like, look competent on offense for, like, the first time in maybe all season. So, like, this game could be, like, bonkers. Like, I, I'm kind of excited. Like, I'm, I am probably going to carve out time to try to watch this. Oh, my goodness. You are a sucker for punishment, my friend. But <laughs> no, that, that's good. Those I watched Arizona-Utah, man. And I stayed <laughs> up to watch, like, Colorado-USC. Like, this game at least has, like, the promise of, like, I don't know, putting up points. Yeah, that, that's fair. That's very fair. Let, let's get out of the mud here. Let's, get, I, let's go I'm on taking Cal. Point. Like, whatever the – like, anything short of, like – 25 points like give me the bears <laughs> 25 points okay all right all right uh i i would say 10 i'd do 10 if it gets past that i might actually take oregon state because i i have cal again in our suicide pool but i do not feel good about it i think this is a game that they could lose if if oregon state's gonna oh, win one game this. in the back 12 yeah this is the one uh but let's get to the big one here oregon um Oh, I don't know if I have the time on this, but basically, so Oregon goes on the road at the Palouse, Washington State. Oregon is a two-point underdog right now going into Washington State, which I thought was an interesting line. Um, we already talked Oregon, Wash. Did we talk Oregon, Washington? Uh, no, a little bit. Okay, we did right, a little, little bit. bit. We, we 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 broke our rule and we didn't cover Washington's game previously enough. Ugh, this is we're on fire right now um this, this was like we mentioned this is such a good game um i watched this entire game but uh, i want to hear your thoughts on it because you watch a little bit more detail than i do 
Now, I, I thought this was a great game for, I mean, for, I mean, Washington, it's not, I want to say this, like Washington didn't play badly. Um, Oregon uh, played well on offense against a good uh, Washington defense. Um, Oregon's defense, I think, showed up as much as they had to. Uh, Washington started out almost always in far worse field position, uh, with the exception of the the, uh, the turnover aided field position that they had. Um, Washington started out almost always in like far worse field position than the Ducks uh, did, and and that started to show uh, on the points, but. Um, so kudos to Oregon special teams for showing up. Um, I thought Herbert and Browning had reasonably good games, um, but not great games. And I think relative to the quality of or where Oregon's defense sort of currently sits, um, which isn't great. Like uh, Jake Browning and that Washington offense really should have had a much better game than they did. Um, and I think part of that is, is, and, as Arizona fans, we got to watch this last year. Like, don't don't ever play Jim Levitt after a bye week. <laughs> like, do not yeah. do not give Jim Levitt two weeks to prepare, um, because Jake Browning and that and Bush Hamdan, uh, you know, the Washington offensive coordinator. I think they looked very confused in this game by what Oregon was doing a lot of the time, uh, and they were uh, <clears throat> there's a lot of just like unable to execute. Um, to go with, you know, some, some schematic stuff that they were really weren't, you know, clicking on all cylinders. Yeah. And then you had miles gas go out. Um, yeah. a couple things on my end that I was really impressed with was geez, man, the rushing from Oregon, 177 Oregon yards, ball. <laughs> buddy. I mean, we knew that they were good, but this was a really good, uh, Washington front seven that they just lit up. And that, I mean, it was crazy. Like CJ Virgil for got 29 carries and good for him. Right. He was the player that, um, I think fumbled the ball against Stanford or whatever. And, you know, they give it to him to win the game, which I thought was a really cool uh, story to see. But, um, Two touchdowns, 111 yards. I, I love the fact that they were able to get the ball uh, and get in people's hands and run it and be able to push and push and push on Washington. And like you mentioned, I'm, I'm in agreement on where Justin Herbert and Jake Browning were fine, but it wasn't like this sounds weird, but it wasn't the Colorado ASU where you're like, oh, man, I'm watching like two really good quarterbacks just sling the ball around. Right. Um, but I think that was more on the defense than it was on the offense. It wasn't like they played. I think they played poorly. Even Jake Brown, he had a couple of moments. I'm like, oh, my goodness. But uh, for the most part, he was competent. He was fairly calm. Is that fair? Fair to say he yeah. gets rattled, but he, he can get rattled. Um, I thought he I thought he was pretty good in the game. Um I don't think that you could look at it and say like he he missed a lot, but you just kind of felt like I don't know. Like I felt like he probably left that. I mean, I just felt like he left things on the table. Hmm. Uh, ben Burkirvin, whoo, buddy. <laughs> like yeah. He, he, you talk about everywhere. He was ever. He wasn't necessarily in the backfield as much, but um, sometimes we'll sometimes we'll like stack count on uh, linebackers for getting a ton of tackles because you know, like the defensive line wasn't doing their job. It seemed in this game, at least as I was watching it, that he was, he was making tackles because he was a good player <laughs> rather than he was getting tackles because uh, players were, you know, just making it to the next line of defense. I don't know. I, I just thought he was flying all over the, the place. He was somebody that stood out a lot in my mind, at least. No, he's having a phenomenal year. I mean, like he's having like the year that Cam Smith of USC had last year um, where, 
you're not necessarily like you are you're making a ton of tackles and they're not bad tackles they're not like five six yards in the line of scrimmage like he's making tackles you know three yards in the box just making a ton ton of tackles but because he's playing in the middle he's not making a ton of tackles for a loss you want to talk about these targeting calls yeah. Oh, sure. that's well, I mean, what we forgot can't, about. You can't we gotta end, calls. Yeah, we got to end on like the uh, the ridiculous targeting. The like Fred from accounting for the Pac-12 is making decisions on like what, what targeting is and what oh, yeah. apparently for weeks. We'll get into that later. But so there were two targeting calls in this game, and I thought they were the technically the right calls to make. And I, but man, like both of those were like legitimate sacks, like hard hitting. But they did, they did hit him when they got him. And it's tough because when you're like a 6'4 defensive end or linebacker or whatever and you're tackling a quarterback, I, they made the right decision. I'm not complaining about it. But I'm just pointing out that like this is, this is what comes with all of the targeting calls is like I thought those were not malicious. And maybe there should be a split between malicious targeting and regular targeting. I don't yeah. know. Like, Do you think that that should be a thing? No, I mean I think it's tough because I think you still have to have like in order to get – compliance like to get players to get the crown of their helmet down um you do have to have some sort of like severe punishment there uh unfortunately but you're right like these weren't this this was not like the uh the usc colorado (laughs) non-targeting um where both players just basically like lower the crowns of their helmets and went at each other um this game was much more like the the defensive lineman and it's tough if you're coming off of uh coming off of a blocker you're usually not necessarily down in like tackling position um but you might find yourself deposited right near the quarterback and so you're like your first instinct is like all right just tackle this guy um but like the the player's clearly did not get their heads down um into good tackle i mean they, they did not get into good tackling form to yeah. <laughs> to put it mildly um and then they you know like you you want to see players get their heads down and their faces up like you don't want to be leading with the crown um but in both cases like it's very clear that they they were leading with the crown i i like i know this the the like they seem ticky tacky because it just seems like in a normal run of football plays but like if you're going to clean up football so that they can stay around like those are the kinds of plays that have to get cleaned up and i didn't have a problem with either of them i absolutely it was the right call there was the one i forget what team it was or what quarterback where the quarterback turns into the lineman basically yeah and, and it was just was an awkward yeah awkward tie yeah it was like so uh it's just it's a bummer because that game was so competitive yeah i think it's sometimes it's it's less frustrating when a team's up by 20 it's like yeah get that guy's ass out of here <laughs> or it's early i get him out of here right. whereas that game was so tight and so um competitive and you got two like major pieces taken off the board for what was their fault and what was certainly a penalty but i'm like ah i wish they were i, I know i know but i just wish they were still in the game and then that wasn't the case but whatever like you know they, they made the right call and they had to and you're right you got to clean the game up but i just wanted to bring that up uh anything else on oregon washington man college kickers like if you're a washington fan like so they came in with the true freshman kicker this year and i mean it was a big question about about this team like was that going to come back and bite them uh at all this season and uh oh boy did it come back and bite them 
Oh, man, that's brutal. Uh, our condolences to the dog pod and our friends there for <laughs> that. And then right when that, right when he missed that kick, I'm like, Oregon's going to win this game. There's no way. Yeah. Gonna- oh, yeah. Like, that was the, the, the I, I like to joke around and like have like pandas rolling on the Pac 12, like uh, Twitter, the 12 pack Twitter. But um, like, that was definitely momentum swung right there. Oh, and, and like, Mario Cristobal freaking called like eight timeouts to to freeze him. Yeah. Uh, I went and made a snack like before, right right when they put the you know they lined up for the the kick. I'm like, I'm gonna make a sandwich. I'll be right back because he's not gonna make this kick for another like ten minutes, yeah. which ended up being the case, and it worked. So uh, good on him. Okay, um, did we pick? Did we pick this game? No. We have oh, stuff, yeah. The, the we, match still, of- we have still yet to talk about Washington State versus Oregon and game oh, day. <laughs> <laughs> which is like, which is good. Like the the Washington Oregon game was the, the by far the game of the week. I'm so excited about this game. Like this is this is going to be so fun. I, Gardner Minshew has been amazing, and we're going to definitely ask uh, uh, Max Brown about like what makes him special because he's excellent. He makes his reads. He does these. Anyway, he's the perfect quarterback for that system. And I don't know, Rob. What are the things you're going to look up uh, or look at when you're looking at this matchup here? Oh boy, I am. I mean, you want to see some offense, ladies and gentlemen. Like, so Washington State comes in with the number three ranked offense in beta rank. Um, like, this offense is just so good, and 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 Minshew is just lights out. And they they do not run the ball. Um, they rank number one in effective passing in beta rank, and number one twenty seven in running. Um, and Gardner Minshew is just there's there's no one in the Pac twelve who's having a year anywhere close to the year that he's having. Um, it's not just like touchdowns and things. Like that. I mean, he's he's almost a thousand yards ahead of uh, anyone at this point. Um, so I yeah, I, like I, I like Minshew quite a bit <laughs> in, this, uh, in this game. Like I, I I don't think that this Oregon defense um is is as good as last year i think they're probably a little better than where the models got them right now um because the models got them all the way back at number 94 um but the uh i I do i do i do think minchu's gonna have a himself a good game um now hopefully they did have a good point that um, Washington State's offensive line, like as we saw with USC and Utah, which are, are two good defensive lines, and, and even Wyoming, um, when they played Washington State, Wyoming has a good defensive line. You can get pressure on Minshew. Um, the trouble is, is that like he's been so effective at getting the ball out of his hands. Um, but the question I would have in this game is, uh, as we saw with say Stanford, um, Utah and Notre Dame were clearly able to put pressure on KJ Costello, and Oregon just was not in their game like so i'd be interested to see how and if oregon can put pressure on Minshew to match what um utah which is a great defensive line and and porter gustin were able to do against uh, washington state we're gonna you should so if you don't already follow our uh 12 pack radio twitter account which is one two pac radio and we'll tweet out all of hifliday's video breakdowns of this game like he is he really knows the stuff and he's excellent on this stuff. So uh, what we'll do is we'll do the breakdown. He always does like a video recap of uh, the previous game, which is Oregon, Washington, and and he'll do a preview of Washington state, Oregon. So uh, we'll definitely send those out because if you're watching this game, you're going to want to read his stuff. I, I want to take Washington state. (laughs) Like I do. They, I I really like this team. I think that the, I think that the Palouse is going to be fired up. 
I love Gardner Minshew. I I'm with you, Rob, where the front seven of Oregon scares me a bit. If I'm a Washington state fan, that offensive line has been fine. Question mark. Right. But, um, I just think they're going to be able to move the ball and that, that offensive system. I mean, this is so fun. It's Jim Levitt against freaking Mike Leach. Like this is, this is so fun. With with like possibly the best trigger man, like Mike Leach has had since his days at Texas tech. Here's, here's a question. I wish we had Hitler day on this week because I'm curious to see, he's not a big fan of the corners that they have. Right. Right. So one of the things that Minshew does is he gets the ball out quick and all that stuff, but he can throw a good deep ball too. And when you have people like, like Tay Martin that can just go up and get it and and are good wide receivers, like elite level wide receivers against this uh, secondary of Oregon, then I start, I start to worry. Uh, And, and tell us a little bit more about Washington state's defense. Well, I mean, do you, if you're, if you're Oregon state or I mean, Oregon, like, do you trust your, you know, your, your dime corner in this game? Like a lot. Cause he's yeah. going to be on the field yeah. like a lot. <laughs> <laughs> and then my answer is no, no. <laughs> although like they could move uh, Ugo uh, Armadi. He usually is, I think I'm getting the, the name right. If I'm, if I'm not, I apologize, but like they got, they got a, a safety that has played corner yes. in the past. So now you got three, but what do you got after that? That's the other question too. So I'm, I'm with you. So Washington state's defense is not good. They come in ranked at number one on one. Um, this has been very much an offense first team. Um, they've been reasonably good. Their special team score has improved. They're at number 43. Uh, so this, this team, this team in Oregon sort of match up well in their uh, what they're good at and what they're not. Oregon's number thirty-three on offense, ninety-four on defense, fifty-three on special teams. Um, I think that defense is probably a little low. Um, I don't know that the offense is low right now, um, but Washington State, like they're 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 definitely a offense first you know team here, um, and uh, this this game could be like like the game that they had against uh, a USC. Um, but Oregon's, I mean, I, I fully expect Oregon to show up and, and try to run the ball uh, in this game. Like they're like they're, and I think they'll be quite effective at it. Um, Washington state is going to have uh, trouble, I think stopping Oregon's running game in this game. Um, and that, that in itself sort of gives me a little bit of heartburn if I was going to pick the Cougars because um you know, like the if you have if you have uh, Oregon able to run the ball well, Justin Herbert should be able to uh, be highly efficient and maybe even make some throws down the field. Okay, all right. Any other any other keys that you want to po- point out here? Uh, no, no. I mean, I I think the I think the like the real key to the game is um, it's on either side of the ball is if, if Washington state can slow down the Oregon running game at all. And then if you're Oregon, it is, you have to find a way to get pressure on Minshew. Okay. Who are you taking? Oh. <laughs> I mean, I'm not like, I'm actually not surprised. Like the model likes Washington state in this game. Like, I think it likes them a little too much. I think the model is still a little down on Oregon because, uh, the model is basically saying like, well, we think you're closer to Stanford than you are to Washington. Uh, and the model does not love Stanford after the weeks that they've had. Um, but they're Washington state's an 83% win probability favorite in this game. I think that's way too high. Oh, um, sure. but what is the, what's the line two again? Oh. Two. you know, give me the Cougars in this game. 
I, I, I think Levitt without two weeks to prepare is, is not quite like this defense is going to be quite as on point as they were last week. Yeah. And, and Washington state's defense is pretty good. And I, I would trust a, an elite offense and a pretty good defense against a pretty good offense and uh, okay defense. So yeah. All right, cool. All right, moving on. We got 5 PM USC at Utah, USC. This is the lines birdie moved. Uh, USC is a six and a half point dog on the road at Utah. And yeah, I I was curious to see what the line was when (laughs) when it came out. Uh, Utah coming off like a big win against Arizona, blah, blah, blah. And we'll, let's talk about that game now. Um, They just stopped on Arizona and Arizona is not a good team. And they're able to run the ball and they've shifted towards the run. We've talked about this on a number of podcasts, but it's still happening. I thought the one thing to keep in mind is that uh, Tyler Huntley had 80% like of all the games that he had, this is probably in the top 80%. Like he, he, this is exactly what you want out of him where he was able to run the ball. He was able to pass the ball. He only had one turnover. He's able to move the offense and Arizona's defense is just so, so bad that it made him look excellent. But I also think that part of that is the, the evolution of this Utah offense to, towards a more balanced and less pass heavy offense, even though he passed the ball a lot, if that makes sense. Like they, they use the run to set up the pass basically. Does that make sense? Yeah. Anything, anything you want to say, um, Arizona. So Khalil Tate went out, but really yeah. couldn't do anything anyway. <laughs> like, so are you, yeah, go ahead. I would just say, I mean, there are people going around saying like Arizona, like Arizona is the 11th best team in the back 12. Um, in the model right now. Um, it, so I like Utah did what they had to do in this game. Um, their offense has been improving. Um, you know, like this Arizona defense is not good. So um, I just, I, I wouldn't, I, I don't know. There's just not much. I, I feel like if you really want to hear us go really deep in depth, like listen to the wildcat radio version of the podcast, like this, <laughs> it was a, it was a beat down. We both watched it. Um, I don't know that there was much to take. I mean, there's just there was there was a big imbalance between the two teams, and uh, I don't think there's a lot of takeaways as a result. And Utah is going to stomp, <laughs> stomp on uh, USC. I think they're just going to bring the noise. This is a good team, and they can move the ball a decent amount. And their defense is nasty. And the fact that Porter Gustin is out for forever, basically, which is really a bummer. He is such a fun player to watch. You have Cameron Smith, who is uh, partially injured. Our friend uh, Alicia Deratola at the Rain of Troy podcast released the injury report, and it's just like a, it's a medical ward. It's yeah. it's bad. Plus the fact that you don't have an offense that i trust farther than i can throw it in uh, i mean like usc can't run the ball period how are they gonna run the ball against you utah's front seven man i have no idea this is like so i was i was a little up in the air before i knew that porter gustin was out um i am less up in the air now that i know that porter gustin is not going to be in this game because I really was impressed by what USC's defense did uh, against Colorado. And I think that Mm -hmm. even with Utah's offense improving, I mean, I could see USC being good enough uh, to go in and and really shut down Utah's offense, but without Porter Gustin there, I I just, I have a hard time seeing that. Um, 
now. I think with uh, Britton Covey back, I, I think this is this Utah offense is a little more dynamic. Um, they've definitely turned it on the last two weeks. I really, really think that Utah has a big special teams advantage in this game. USC's pen, punting has just been terrible. Yep. Um, so again, like if you're looking at Utah with short field. Um, you know, even if USC's defense is good, like Utah's going to be able to put up some points with that short field eventually. Um, and Utah's corners are big, like and and talented. I just I don't buy into this, like that they're always going to get away with this JT Daniels just throw up the ball and like you know hope that nobody makes a play on it type crap. Like I'm sorry, like he made like I said, he made some great throws not Colorado game but he made some deeply deeply bad throws um that actually turned into big plays and this USC offense is all big plays um they're not efficient they don't they I mean they're terrible at drive efficiency they rank 121 in drive efficiency this offense is only good at explosive plays and they rank number 45 there okay uh how many points does USC score in this game Oof, 17 Ah, you got it. you nailed it, man. Well, I, I mean, we don't actually know, but that, that was what I was going to say too. Seventeen. <laughs> we need to stop hanging out in the same place. Uh, <laughs> I just, uh, I think this is. I felt like an idiot for not betting more on USC wiping the floor with Arizona, and I am going to take that lesson and apply it to this game against USC. I just think that Utah is a good team and is catching USC at a perfect time. Plus, you you know Arizona was not like you were mentioning. Arizona was like one of the worst teams of the Pac-12. There is no letdown. Look ahead, anything. But like this is USC, and it's coming to Salt Lake City, and they um, and they beat Stanford on the road. They beat Arizona. This is the game for them right now and and if they win it they will likely win the Pac-12 South and get a chance to play in the uh, Pac-12 championship like I, I give right. give me Utah like th- this is the big one for them so uh, uh and good luck good luck to them um last game Bellify Arizona at UCLA 7 30 p.m east uh, ESPN 2 uh no line on this right now because again Khalil Tate was hurt in the game against Utah it is likely he will not play uh he, he already had an injured ankle uh, we had on a, the wildcat radio podcast said like please do not play him because he will get hurt and guess what he got hurt <laughs> uh because utah's defense is so nasty. he didn't get decapitated but he got hurt he did it but like you know when a 300 pound like raging you know uh, defensive lineman falls on your leg because your offensive line is a mess this is what happens and uh, they go to ucla and i think they're catching ucla at a bad time like you mentioned rob their offense is moving they're looking like a team that's uh, been playing well we've already talked about arizona and ucla so let's just talk about matchups here uh what are some things that you're looking for uh i'm looking for ucla to just show up and be able to run the ball in this game i mean they've they've significantly like they're committed to the run uh joshua kelly has been um really good i I mean he was good in that colorado game um uh, dorian thompson robinson was not uh the difference against washington and then against cal was that dorian thompson robinson uh was actually pretty good so um i think against a bad which will be in this this Arizona defense will be a significant step down for the last, uh, cause Colorado is ranked in the thirties, you know, so is Washington, um, Utah's or I mean, not Utah, um, Cal's ranked at number 44 right now in defense. Um, 
Arizona's ranked at 101. Like UCLA is probably licking their chops coming into this game, being able to run the ball. I think Joshua Kelly has a big game. Um, you know, if they really, really get it rolling, he could he could push for nearly 200 yards rushing. I think in this game, um, Thompson Robinson has been much more efficient. Um, he started to figure out the zones that people are throwing at him, which he wasn't doing earlier on in the year. Uh, and the offensive line, which was a mishmash, is like we said, like starting to click. Like uh, I don't I don't like Arizona's defensive shot in this game uh, very much at all. If you uh, haven't watched a lot of Arizona football, get ready to watch Rhett Rod, Rich Rodriguez's <laughs> son. <laughs> His dad got fired from the program, will likely start this game. And he was pretty good, like, you know, compared to what you could expect for somebody getting thrown to the Wolves uh, at Utah on the road. But Arizona should be able to move this ball. They'll probably put up, what did we say, like uh, 14 points? I think that's what we said, like. Which is a good jo- good job, Arizona. Like fourteen right. points, good on you. Like, <laughs> that's kind of where the program is right now. Uh, UCLA should just beat the crap out of Arizona, and uh, and rightly so, uh, particularly the, now that they have them on, at home. So for a while, this looked like a game that Arizona should win handily, but that was before Khalil Tate uh, didn't turn out to be the player we thought he was, and uh, this game should be a blowout. Anything else? I think we covered most of it. No, no, we just got to talk about the uh, the. Um Pac-12 survivor pool no the uh the conference all right so let's let's get into that I didn't read the story as much I just saw the headline so can you just break down what on earth happened with this targeting call from some Pac-12 executive so apparently the uh with this targeting call it was overruled um and this was uh, a hit on um this was the hit on JC Daniels. Not this is not the infamous hit on Minshew. Anyway, um, the uh, the call the call was rule targeting. It was rule targeting by Pac-12 officials uh, actually in the replay booth in Santa Clara. Um, the general counsel it had been decided. He also heads up football operations for the Pac-12. Um, it had been decided, and this had to have come down from Larry Scott. Was in the booth. Um, he decided that it was not targeting. Um, and somebody from, I'm assuming one of the referees or somebody within the PAC 12 office thought this was totally bananas. Uh, and so they leaked out the report, um, that the officials submit, uh, from the PAC 12, uh, replay booth. And it said basically that a third party, meaning the PAC-12 general counsel had overruled the actual trained officials uh, on whether this was targeting or not uh, to come in and say that it wasn't targeting. Um, I think given how poorly that the conference has handled targeting up to this point. um, And I I mean, ever, if you have question, if you have questionable, I think think back to that Arizona Cal game where there were the two Cal, you know, targeting calls that were basically headhunting that were not called, like they were overturned, um, were not called, um, you know, or, I mean, if you have questionable targeting calls, like, man, like by all means, like you, you should have questions about them because the fact that there was a non, an untrained, you know, basically someone from the league office in there just like, you know, and Larry Scott should have known this. Like, I'm sorry. Like I've worked in corporate America for a long time. Like if you're the CEO and you're not, you don't have your head completely up your behind. Like, you know, that if you put the most, like someone, you know, in the, on the board, I mean, you're basically in the the C-suite in the room, 
like that person's, you know, their, their, their weight's going to carry the day. Like, yep. um, you know, like nobody's going to over, like try to like overturn the decision of somebody that is a corporate officer. Like, that's insane. Like just ha- like that power dynamic that itself is already toxic and bad. And like any, C- any CEO should, should know that, that that's a bad idea. Um, and you, there's no way that Larry Scott did not approve this setup. Like it just, you don't have the GC in there with that kind of power without, you know, like that being approved. Like it's just crazy. I did see his response was like, Oh, uh, sorry. <laughs> like this won't happen again. We've made, was, yeah, it's just, no, did you see uh, his first or so? The first response to the Yahoo report was infuriating. And I'm sure someone pulled Larry Scott aside and was like, dude, that's not going to work. Because his first response was, was that the general counsel fully understands the targeting rule. And this is no big deal. Oh, I didn't see that <laughs> oh, part. No, like, oh my! Go back if you if you want to like just Gosh. have like I mean just a moment of pure internet rage. Go back and read. It was a Yahoo report by Pete Thamel. is really good at Yahoo. Um, and go read the original quote that they got from the Pac-12 office from Larry Scott, and it is literally like. He, he he fully understands the targeting rule and like you know like pound sand <laughs> like, oh my gosh what a mess right and I'm sure like the Pac-12 presidents like are like idiot like we got inundated with emails last night like go fall on your sword <laughs> <laughs> I don't I mean good I'm glad that they fixed it but I mean like how many how many freaking things have to happen uh, for this to continue. I, it is just, um, it is quite, quite something. All right, let's, let's get to our, let's get to our contest results. So real fast. So, uh, in terms of our picks against the spread, Rick Denice went three and one. I went three and one. Rob, you went two and two. Rick Balls, oh and four. Oh and four. Oh, oh, oh he oh. took Arizona. Ah. He did. I know, I know. Him and Ronnie. Ronnie went two and two. Adam, man, Adam making a, a comeback. He was three and one this week. He's twenty-three and twenty-two on the week. In terms of our contest, so we are giving away two tickets to um basically your team's uh, premier college basketball game. If you can uh, basically run the gauntlet, which is defeat us in terms of uh, picking against the spread against each member of our team. And if you can knock us all off in six sub- subsequent weeks, we'll give you the tickets. Um, I got challenged by three people and it was a freaking bloodbath. My friend, I beat B dub Nora 33 who's challenged me three times in a row. We've tied, tied, tied. Boom. Then I bring the noise. Uh, Nora 33 is out. C team is out. Um, we had, uh, Two players challenge Adam. It was Gronky Kong and the Height of Excellence. That was a bloodbath. Uh, Gronky Kong is out. Height of Excellence is out. The only person to survive is Ice Cold Brewskis, and he defeated Ronnie Stoffel. Congratulations to you. Okay, in regards to our Pac-12 survivor pool, a lot of you picked cow suckers. So we had 12 people, 12 out. We will have, I think, 23 players remaining. And uh, as always, we will pay homage to those who have departed us. And those names include Ronnie Stoffel, Adam Green, Tyler Merman, Michael Conger, Ageless Wonderpick, AZ Wildcat Mom, Maddie Ice, The Super Freaks, Fly the Punt Flag, Bear Down Rich, 
Scoronado, and Justice for Saab. Sleep well, sweet princess. <laughs> a lot of friends. A lot of friends that took one for the team, man. <laughs> Moses. <laughs> it's like that uh, the last of the Mohicans line where like she's like, How can you just leave these dead bodies like this? And he's like, They're not strangers, man. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, get your picks in, guys. We uh, we will continue the uh, only a few weeks left, man, in the season, which is crazy. Uh, we're already halfway through. Um, follow us on Twitter at, at 12 Back Radio and then stick around for our special interview with Max Brown. All right. 12 Pack Radio rolls along and this is the big one. This is the big game in the Palouse, 430 p.m. on Fox, Oregon Ducks. Go to the Palouse against Washington State. And, Rob, I am very excited about this this interview that we have. You had uh, talked about Max Brown, who former quarterback at USC, uh, former quarterback at Pitt, and really a game wizard. <laughs> and uh, I was a little skeptical at first. It's like, hey, some guy's doing stuff on the Internet. I'm like, ah. Oh. It's like, is it that Max Brown? And it is like so. And I went to YouTube and the way that he's able to break down games and break down what the offense is doing, what the defense is doing. It is a must watch for anybody. We'll make sure to tweet this out at both the 12 pack radio and the Wildcat radio uh, Twitter account. So you have the links and we'll start linking to the videos on our website, Wildcat Radio AZ. But Mr. Max Brown, man, what's going on? Hey guys, how's it going? Thanks for having me on. Yeah, I'm glad you guys uh, liked the videos. It's been fun making those. No, absolutely. And Rob, what stood out for you when you first started started catching these here? I think what stood out was that uh, Max was breaking the breaking down what was happening. I think at a level that was a lot further than you're getting from your play by play announcer types <laughs> um, and and the color commentators that you're getting on TV. Um, and it's it, 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 in fairness, like they don't often have time to to go and, and run back a replay on you know, a standard play in between the next play. But, um, you know, I think the first ones that really uh, I saw was the the ones where he was breaking down. And we were just talking about this before we started the, the um, Stanford and Oregon game and his breakdown of the way that Stanford um, was vertically attacking uh, Oregon's defense and forcing their linebackers to make decisions. It, it really, uh, if you haven't had a chance to watch it, you absolutely should. Um, and it gives you a good idea of the way that, um, you know, Stanford has been, I, I would argue, has a very well-designed offense like a well-designed offense can put pressure um on their opponent but uh yeah if you want to sort of try to understand a little bit of football at the next level i think when after i watched the uh the breakdown your breakdown of uh, utah versus stanford you know we're we watch a lot of Arizona football and I, I was looking for green dog blitzes in that Utah game. <laughs> I'm glad. Yeah. It was funny uh, with that one. Like I, uh, I, when I was filming, I was like, yeah, I've heard green dog blitzes for like five years now. And I have no idea why it's called that, but uh, I'm glad. Yeah. I'm glad guys could, guys could learn a little, little defense there. <laughs> and Max, where can people find your breakdowns? Yeah, so I have a YouTube channel, um, and so just type in type in my name just in the search bar, Max Brown, and Brown has an E at the end. Um, my videos uh, now they've been out for a month or so. They should pop up right there, um, if not my channel link. But uh, yeah, click on any one of those first videos that should lead you to my channel. Um, also, pretty active on Twitter as well. So at Max Brown, Brown has an E at the end once again. Uh, four number four. Uh, so yeah, Twitter and YouTube, Instagram as well, but uh, Twitter and YouTube for my video breakdowns are uh, the most the most popular spots. Okay, well let's talk about this Washington State game here, and I first want to talk about Pullman, Washington, because I have been told that it is the equivalent of landing on the moon. 
when you go to, to Pullman in terms of just not a lot around you. I don't know. I've never been there. I know that you've traveled there during your, your days in the Pac-12. Uh, what are your impressions of Pullman in general? Because I think you're going to this game, right? I am going to this game. Yeah, I'll be there. Uh, I played there once as a player, and then in high school, I also played uh, at the University of Idaho, which is like ten minutes away, but like similar, similar, uh, similar setting. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's 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 the it's a very unique setting in terms of a Pac-12. I mean, you, Pac-12, you got everywhere from SC and UCLA to Pullman, Washington, on the Palouse. Uh, nothing in sight except for uh, for a university for for a while, but. People love it up there. It's a fun atmosphere. It'll be sweet having college game day up there and uh, definitely a cool place to play. Yeah, very excited that they're doing it there finally. Uh, big ups to the Washington State community. And we can't talk about Washington State without starting with Gardner Minshew, who just has taken this offense by the lapels and shooken it back into place. Uh, one of the things that Rob had talked about with the Washington State offense last year was this uh, inefficiency in the sense of, yeah, they threw a lot of passes, but they weren't moving the ball down the field as well as they should. And that has changed. Minshew, 68% completion rate, 2,400 yards already, 19 touchdowns, four interceptions. This guy is a boss. And, you know, as a, as a quarterback that played at the highest level, Max, what is it that makes him so good? Yeah, I think he just gets the ball out. One, he gets the ball out incredibly quick. And then two, his anticipation is is very impressive. I saw him live when they played at USC. Um, and, I mean, you're talking, when I, when I watch him play, it's almost like Kurt Warner where he's like, hey, I, I want you to blitz me because I want to just, I mean, I want to get the ball quick out of my hands. And the way he's able to hang in there um, is impressive. But at the end of the day, as a quarterback and a fellow transfer, I can I can appreciate, like, he's only been there for, four months, five months on campus and to win over that team and operate at that high of a level. I mean, Luke Falk was no, was no scrub. And so to come in there and um, I mean, just kind of take the reins and, and grow, grow the team from there. I think it's really impressive, but gets the ball out quick is incredibly accurate. And you feel like, uh, I mean, they can get to get the ball to any one of their five receivers or two running backs on any play. And they're as explosive as could be in the fact 12. Well, in the, this offense right now and in the model I run beta rank comes in ranked at number three overall in the country. I mean, only Oklahoma and Alabama are, are grading out better than Washington state right now. Um, and they're just, they're number that's five that's good company to be in. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, the year Alabama's having. Yeah. Um, the, uh, and they grade out just number five, even if you don't do any adjustments overall on, on opponent or anything like that, they're great out at number five overall at points per drive. Um, but this offense, this Mike Leach offense, uh, I mean, they, they grade out number number one overall in effective passing. They are number one twenty seven for running the ball. So this is really at this point just I mean, Mike Leach he doesn't call run plays. You only audible into the run. Um, yeah. But this is uh, they only put pressure on defenses this year, really through the pass. How does this offense? I mean, differ from say like a one back offense or some of the other offenses that you see out there in the spread. Um, how does this offense, this air raid type offense put pressure on, on defenses and how does, I mean, Gardner Minshew, I think who really has revitalized this offense, how does he really uh, help drive it forward uh, this year in particular? Yeah. It's your first question of how, how does it attack the defense? I think for me, they're just their entire offensive unit has such a good understanding for spacing and timing. And I think that, that I feel like every, every play they have some sort of crossing route or some sort of rub route. And so that the it's for their entire receiving unit to, to, to flow like that is impressive. And you can tell it's, it comes from reps and reps and reps, but the idea of 
I mean, every defense they're playing, they're forcing that team into nickel. They're forcing them to spread them out wide. It's either um, you man us up and we're going to do rub routes or you're going to drop eight and we're going to find holes in the coverage. And they kind of make you, make you pick your poison when you have a guy like Garner Minshew um, back there. He's just going to take what the defense gives you. And they've, they've made enough big plays as well to, 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 to soften the defense. And when you're doing that and having the big plays and also having the intermediate stuff, their screen game is very effective. I think all of that, they have a good – good flow and uh they have the weapons to be successful and it's, it's showing all year long yeah you talk about the weapons we're looking at the wide receivers here you have tay martin six four wide receiver 40 receptions for 440 yards and six touchdowns and then you have somebody like Aesop winston who's the exact opposite 5 11 uh, 185 he has 29 receptions almost the same amount of touchdowns and receiving yards can you kind of explain what these two different types of players can do in terms of frustrating secondaries, particularly secondaries like organs where I'm not quite certain about their corners, whether or not they can keep up with these players. So what do you, what does like a, a big, tall, talented receiver bring? And then what do those, one of those little water bug guys bring to the table? Yeah. I mean, we saw it with uh, like the, the Tom Brady paid many days with Wes Welker. It's kind of like you have that guy do the dirty work in the middle. And for me, uh, I think a Tay Martin outside is kind of the deep threat for Wazoo, the guy that can, he's their big play guy. And then for me, uh, what sticks out to me is like Kyle Sweet kind of working the, and I'm not sure his exact, exact stats, but work in the middle and, and playing that game. But I think just having different dimensions to your offense, not having every guy be like a short little, short little quick guy that catches a five yard out and makes the most of it. I think they have a good complimentary of those type guys, but then also the deep threats to keep people honest and, I think one thing we've seen in, in past years with Washington State is, yes, they've had receivers, but haven't uh, maybe necessarily had the explosiveness. Um, they've had it in some years, but at least in recent memory, for me at least, but, uh, but that Martin allows them to do that and, and other guys on the roster as well. They're, they're, at the end of the day, they're just deep at the receiver position. And when, when that's the case, you're able to not only target a lot of guys, but if, if you attack a defense vertically and that guy's tired, you're just, uh, put them in there like like a hockey lineup, a little hockey change, and you, and you don't you don't miss a beat, and uh, that's what they've shown sh- and shown the entire year. When when we look at this w, this Washington State offense, how do you slow them down? I mean, I think USC and, and Utah were, I mean, their their answer, and I don't know that it's the wrong answer, is you know to to put pressure on Minshew, um, and I think USC got to him fairly frequently, even though Minshew gets the ball out pretty quick. Uh, and Utah has a terrific defense this year, and, and they got a lot of pressure on him in that game. Um, but is there is there anything else you can do beyond sort of just like getting getting past the offensive line and hoping to get to Minshew to really try to slow this offense down? Yeah, I mean, if, uh, the simple answer is if I had that, if I had that answer, I'd, I, I should be a Pac-12 defensive coordinator. But <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, uh, I'm no Clancy Pendergrass or uh, Kyle Whittingham, so I, I don't, but to me, when I look at Washington State, at least when I break down the film, I see defenses attacking them in two different ways. It's either the I'm going to rush three and drop eight strategy of just uh, I'm going to have tons of defensive backs and they're, they're not going to get anything easy, or it's the, all right, I'm going to bring pressure. I'm going to bring five, six, seven every time and force, force Mitchell to get the ball out quick. For me, what I've seen, it seems like the blitzing is kind of uh, – almost played into Washington state's favor and that Minshew loves getting the ball out quick, loves the little rub routes and timing. And I've seen tons of slants and quick streams work out for them. So to me, I might, might lean towards the drop eight scenario, but the reality is if you don't have the pass rush to, if, if you're going to drop eight and rush three only, and he's able to sit back there for 
all day. That that's no good. I no good either. Um, but to me, I mean, you got to do with whatever your personnel can do. For Utah, they have a great D line, so they can kind of rely on them uh, for this upcoming week. Oregon, Oregon has great ed, edge rushers as well. So I would probably lean towards, hey, let's let's roll the dice with with Russian three, with Russian only four, and saying, hey, our guys are going to get on the edge. Um, and give our secondary some more help and make it harder in, on, on Minshew and through there. You mentioned their Oregon's front seven here, and it is nasty. Troy Dye, Justin Hollins, Jalen Jelks, Jordan Scott. I mean, all of these players, when you look at a team, uh, you can get caught stat counting, right? Oh, this guy has 1,100 tackles <laughs> or you know, 50 tackles already. That's crazy. Yeah. And most of those tackles might be after the line of scrimmage. Whereas if you look at Oregon's defensive line and front seven, almost every one of these players has a ton of havoc stats. I mean, take Jalen Jelks, 31 tackles, but he has four tackles for a loss, a pass breakup quarterback, you know, force fumble. Uh, when you look at somebody like Troy Dye, two and a half tackles for a loss, pass breakups, three quarterback hurries, interceptions. I mean, this is a defense that can pressure and do some fun things to try to confuse Minshew. I know, Max, that you've played against really good front sevens before. What does a solid linebacking core like Oregon's do to an offense and to a quarterback if you know that they're good? Yeah, I think you mentioned Troy Dye. I mean, he's as sound as it gets. I think just when you have a linebacking crew that can play the run effectively and then there's no weakness in the pass game, I mean, that's obviously really hard to do. Um, but to your original point, I mean, their front seven as a whole, I mean, Oregon, that Oregon D line is getting back to when I was there. I mean, I was just watching Monday Night Football and DeForest Buckner got a, got a sack and he was a, uh, he, he was a beast up front for them. And that was kind of what you got used to with Oregon. It's just these freak athletes. And that's kind of what we're seeing. Once again, with uh, Mario Cristobal's defense, and um, they're putting a lot of pressure on guys. I think to be able to st- stick with Stanford and shoot, they should have won that game, and stick with Washington, and uh, obviously won that game. Um, they have the horses up front to run with anyone, and I think it gets back to my point: is uh, I think they're going to be the toughest test for Washington State thus far. But uh, Washington State's done a good job answering answering the bell with each with, with each team at least when when facing their defense, and uh, we'll see we'll see how each team holds up this week. What did uh, what did Oregon try to do to counteract? I mean, they're, to what David Shaw does, obviously, in the air raid are totally different. However, Stanford lit up at Oregon through the air, um, and it wasn't just it actually wasn't just Stanford this year. Bowling Green had a pretty good game before, even before garbage time, throwing the ball around against Oregon. Um, so did San Jose State. This uh, this Oregon team does give up some yards through the air um, and does give up points through the air. Um, what did what did Oregon do to try to counteract Stanford in that game? I mean, I'll grant you, like Stanford, Stanford has some physical specimens out at the wide receiver and tight end position, um, but it didn't seem yeah. like Oregon really. And, and Jim Levitt, who I think is one of the best DCs in the game, I don't think he he really made great adjustments in that game to what Stanford was doing. Yeah. Um... To be honest, I don't know in terms of coverage and scheme wise, I don't quite remember. But the the one thing I will say is, I mean, I remember Stanford having tons of success with the seam routes and like isolating a tight end on a, a, a linebacker and using leverage to just break out the opposite way. I mean, Parkinson and uh, the other guy I'm blanking on his name had a, had, a, had a field day um, in terms of like the seams and intermediate intermediate routes that way. Um, but personnel wise, that's a totally different matchup. For, yeah. for Oregon with Stanford versus Washington State, as, as you guys know. So that's what I'm intrigued with in terms of this week is you go from the big Arcega-Whiteside, Parkinson to Tay Martin, 
Kyle Sweet, just totally different depth chart wise. So maybe that'll serve him better if if your one weakness, if your organ, if your one weakness or your one worry is the secondary. I mean, they're obviously not worried about their front seven as they, they've held up well. And uh, but, but stopping the run isn't a thing as much with with, with Washington State. So mission to see personnel wise if there's a difference, if that helps Oregon, if that hurts Oregon, if uh, that puts more pressure on Oregon secondary, or if um, yeah, we'll, we'll see. But uh, definitely a totally different test as as you guys know from Stanford to Stanford to Washington State. Shifting over to Oregon's offense here, obviously Justin Herbert is a, a monster, sixty three percent completion rate. He's had about sixteen hundred yards, seventeen touchdowns, five interceptions. This is though a different offense than we saw from Oregon in past years under previous coaches. What is the big difference that you've seen in Oregon schematically in the way that they're approaching their offense this year? Yeah, this will be a good little uh, link to one of my videos. But the first video I saw was about Oregon's formations, and that was the first thing that jumped out jumped out at me. Is uh, obviously I knew the Chip Kelly style at, at Oregon, and uh, never played played against him or played for him, but uh, obviously was a fan and, and watched them spread people out and empty formations, uh, two by two receivers on each side, like really spreading out defenses. Versus now, Marcus Arroyo has kind of gone gone with. I've seen a lot of pistol formation, a lot of slot formations, which is when all receivers are on one side. And that's my first video was on that exact thing is how they use slot formations to uh, attack Bowling Green. I think it was, yeah, week one. And so for me, that's what I noticed. I noticed just a lot more downhill running scheme. I know they're not under center, but they're using pistol formation, try to get downhill, put pressure on the interior of the defense. And then they're using slot formations, which by putting all receivers on one side of the field, you can get leverage on, on uh, the other side of the field differently and do some different types of concepts and flood-type flood routes to the receiver side that they've kind of utilized. Um, it's just been differently. To answer your original question, what, what's different? It's the formations. It's how they're attacking defenses. And so far, I think they've, they've under Marcus Royal, they've kind of found a nice little rhythm of sticking with the same formation two, three, four, five times a drive um, and allowing Herbert to sit back there and operate. And they've got a good mold of, downhill running with play action with calling timely shots and uh it's been successful for them all year and if if you if you could uh talk about the pistol a little bit because it's a it's a unique i mean i remember when it was came out and chris alt was running it in nevada and i was like what what in the world is this like why is the quarterback is this a shotgun what is this thing um what is it I mean, what are, what are the advantages of running the pistol and, and sort of being, what is it, like two or three yards, I think, behind the, the center? Yeah, yeah, two or three yards behind the center. Um, I mean, I guess I should. So the original pistol with, like, for at least me, I'm, my, my first memory of it is, like, Colin Kaepernick at Nevada being, like, three yards behind the scrimmage and then the running back being up, like, six yards behind the last scrimmage versus now yeah. – it's kind of translated to, all right, the quarterback's still at like four and a half, and then the running back's at like seven and a half kind of thing. Uh, and that's kind of the, the latter of what I just said is kind of what, uh, what Oregon does. But to me, I think it's obviously the past decade we've seen a huge shift towards zone read schemes, all shotguns, spread offenses. And so I think it's the pistol allows all those old school offensive line coaches that want to get downhill, that want to attack the interior of the defense, that want to – um, maybe even more importantly, get get the play action uh, game more so involved. By going in pistol, you, you kind of get that. You get the, all right, we can do zone read, but then we also can do our dive plays and our interior running plays and our uh, our power pulling the guard type plays. Um, so it kind of gives some offenses the best of both worlds. Um, and then 
going even next level. I know some defenses will line up their defensive fronts based off where the back is. So if the back is to the right, they'll put the nose tackle to a specific shade. And that's kind of how they start their defense versus if you're in the pistol, he's not towards a specific side. So you kind of keep the guess, the defense guessing and they're kind of keep them off balance. And so I know all those thoughts kind of go through an offensive coordinator's mind and the pistol allows you to, to keep all those doors open. One of the things about Washington State's defense, who's going to have to buckle down and hold this Oregon offense to, uh, well, I don't know, 40 points? <laughs> Just, <laughs> 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 um, you know, we were pretty surprised last year with how incredible Washington State's defense was. It was a defensive team. It was really crazy to say that. Now, they lose their uh, defensive coordinator to Ohio State. They bring in T- Tracy Clays, but they still have the bones of a pretty solid defense. Peyton Poehler, Jihad Woods, Jalen Thompson, a lot of these guys there what what is clay's done this year and what has washington state done this year to keep that defensive intensity at a high level and just the the level of play at a high level because i mean i'm sure everybody remembers but a few years back i mean you could score anytime you wanted on this washington state defense and that's not the case and i've just been really been impressed with the coaching changes that they've had to still keep that level of quality so what were they doing here max yeah i think it's fascinating because as you and so many words kind of alluded to is, I mean, uh, like in, in past years that haven't had necessarily the talent, uh, at least the, the, the you, you had Hercules Matafa last year, but uh, he's gone obviously. And they don't have necessarily, like when you look at the SCs and the Stanford's and the Oregon's, they don't have the talent, but they're getting every ounce of uh, production out of those guys. And I think it's fascinating to watch because how, how, how does a defensive coordinator operate when he doesn't have as much talent? To me, it's what they're doing is they're having guys just, two gap and their defensive lines just filling gaps and allowing their linebackers to make plays. And their best defensive player is Peyton Bluer, a good buddy of mine, but he's, he's their best player. He's going to break a bunch of records. got a bunch of tackles, but their mindset is okay. Up front, we're just going to clog as many gaps and make it hard for, for you. And they, they love their linebackers. I know they've, uh, I've seen quotes about that. And so allow those guys to make tackles. And then in the secondary, yeah, they might be outmanned. Yeah. They might not have the best corners, but, one thing I applaud them on is oftentimes when you see teams with bad secondaries, you'll see their corners just lined up, I don't know, six, seven, eight yards off, given just easy hitches out wide because they're just so scared of getting beat deep versus Washington State's kind of took the mindset, at least from the games I've watched and broke down, is, oh, uh, yeah, we might not be the best, but we're not just going to let you get easy yards. We're going to make you earn it. And if you beat us on a fade ball for 40 yards, all right, we'll tip, we'll tip our hat to you, but you're going to have to do that time and time again to beat us. And that's kind of what, what ultimately – Lost in the game against SC as SC was able to convert on a few of those down the field plays and one too many for them to, to for them to keep up with. But to to a point, I almost applaud them because it's like, all right, you're going to force them to earn it rather than just the easy hitch route and forcing everyone to rally. And you're always sitting at second and forward the whole game. So I think the, their defense staff getting every ounce of production out of that that entire defensive unit and uh, confidence is huge in this game as you guys know and they're playing with confidence and with that they can get a lot done and so it'll be fun to see do you think washington state has the size to handle oregon's power run game i mean the what what oregon's running reminds me in some ways of like uh some of the single back power that like joe tiller's team i grew up in wyoming so when joe tiller was wyoming's coach before he went to purdue um i grew up watching a lot of that and there i mean there's a in that old single back offense, like they uh, are the one back offense. I mean, they, they ran a lot of counter, a lot of power and a lot of what Oregon does comes right into that. And um, does Washington state have this last year? They talked about the speed D, you know, like they were, they were fast. They yeah. were big. Um, 
but do they have the size to, to stand up to Oregon's? I mean, bigger than bigger than past years, you know, previous bigger than previous models offensive line. Oregon's guys are a lot huskier now. <laughs> Fatter than your dad's Oregon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but to answer your question, I mean, uh, it, it's fun watching that defense because you mentioned Speed D last year, and this year they're just kind of like. I guess speed last year, they're scrappy this year. I mean, I think they're yeah. one of their uh, defensive tackles is a former walk-on and a guy that just, he's in, he's in there grinding. He's not particularly big, not particularly strong, but in there just plugging gaps. But to answer your question, do they have the, the, the beef to stop Oregon? Um, I don't know about that, but I think, uh, like we alluded to before, they don't really need to stop them. They just got to keep them probably under like 30 and then, right. and then bench you in this offense will win. So I think the biggest thing with that defense, with Washington State's defense, is be opportunistic. Maybe create a few turnovers or get them behind, get Oregon behind the sticks on a few possessions to to steal a possession and steal a touchdown and get ahead. I think that their mo all season hasn't been okay necessarily. We're going to stop this entire offense, but just we're going to pick our spots, create a, a few turnovers, and uh, hopefully convert on a few third downs and allow our offense to win the ball game for us. All right, real talk, Max. Real talk here. And not in a nefarious yeah. way, but as as a player, did did you all ever pay attention to what those uh what those gambling spreads were? Just just to kind of see what, what you were favored by or what if you were an underdog? <laughs> um I had like some fraternity friends that would always kinda I would hear murmurs of that. <laughs> and then uh once Scott Van Pelt came out with his bad beat show, that's kinda when I think uh a lot of people my age kinda got interested because uh you always see the the, the bad beats, the, the ones that uh, come down to the wire, and so that's been fun to watch. But uh, not really, not really on my end. Haven't uh, haven't really got into that. I was kind of curious, just because I, I was wondering if maybe coaches use it as motivation. You know, hey, we're uh, you know we're at home and we're an underdog right now, and I can't believe that's ridiculous. So none none of that, just in terms of motivation. Oh, I guess you get that. You get the underdog, uh, the home run underdog. But in terms of. Uh, we're favored by four points. We got to win by five. None of that. None of that. That wasn't where I was going. Yeah. Yeah. No, I know. I got you. But yeah, they definitely use it as motivation. I mean, you guys know how it is. Coaches will use whatever to get guys uh, up and motivated for a game. <laughs> well, absolutely. So I think, Rob, what was the spread in this game? Is Washington State a two-point two favorite? It was two, it was two last night when we recorded. It may have changed, but that was the last one I saw. May have moved a little bit. Okay. So it's about an even game. Uh, how do you think this shakes out, Max? And what are you going to be looking for in terms of keys? Uh, what's going to be catching your eye as you're watching this game? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, let's see. I kind of my biggest basis point is the USC Washington State game because I saw it live and then I watched it again on the All 22 coverage. And I think that could be the similar story with Oregon, just because you're talking about an explosive offense and it's kind of it's going to kind of be a game of who kicks field goals instead of scoring touchdowns, who creates an opportunistic turnover. And um, that's probably going to be the winner of the game. I think uh, if Minshew operates like he's been doing, they'll be just fine. But uh, I mean, Herbert, like you said, he's, he, he's, he said he's setting the standard in the pack 12. So if they get some momentum, they'll, uh, they'll obviously be in a good spot. But yeah, I think, I think Washington state will pull this one out. I just think, I mean, that, that town having college game day with them, a bunch of guys coming back. I mean, I see it all over Twitter of guys, hyping them up. I think energy and confidence will give that defense enough, enough boost. And then if that offense just keeps on ticking, um, I think they'll be good. And it'll be interesting to see. I think if you're an Oregon duck, you're thinking all year of, all right, Washington's going to be the big game. Washington at home. We got to get that one. You weren't necessarily expecting the next week for 
college game day, Kirk Herbstreit to be at Pullman, and that would be the next. That would be the big game. I think your mindset before the season was, all right, no Luke Falk for Washington State. They're going to take a step back. Well, not so fast. And I think it'll be interesting to see if Oregon rises to the occasion. I think they will. I think they know what's on 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 the line. But uh, back to back weeks of tough of tough tests for Oregon will be uh, will be fun to watch. Ooh, buddy. Well, uh, everybody, make sure to to tune in. So check out Max Brown Brown with an E uh, on Twitter and also on YouTube. Those videos are uh, are very very good. I learned a ton of stuff about Arizona football, but also other Pac-12 teams that you've gone through. So, and Max, you're if if I understand this right, you're going to keep putting those up weekly, or what's the plan with those? Yeah, so last week I did two. Um, the previous week I just kind of did one a week. I released on uh, Wednesday night or Thursday afternoon, so keep your eyes out for that. I'm going to try to keep doing two a week, but uh, just depending on my schedule, uh, we'll see. But, yeah, one for sure, maybe two every single week. All right, well, thank you so much for coming on, Max. Look forward to talking more with you in the future about Pac-12 football, and appreciate your time. Sweet. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me on. All right, take care. Thanks.